How's everyone doing this morning? Come on, you guys can do better than that. How's everyone doing? Amen, amen. It's so good to see you guys here this morning. Would you remain standing as we get ready for the Word of God today? And I'm, I'm not going to use this. It's really distracting. Thank you, though. We're going to go to the book of Luke and another book to begin with as we continue the third part of our series, Bless This Mess. God, bless this mess. So if you find yourself in a mess in your life, the third part of this series is really going to be a, a tough one to listen to, but I believe that the tougher they are, the greater they'll bless you. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 49, this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to send you my, what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city until you receive power. Jesus said this after he resurrected. He meets with his disciples. He had some other things to do. And he tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem, wait for my power. Talking about the Holy Spirit, wait for my power to clothe you. Ironically, however, in John chapter 21, verse 3, this is what you find the disciples actually doing. John chapter 21, verse 3. This was Peter speaking. He said, I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them. He says, friends, have you any fish? They said, no, in a frustration kind of way. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him. He jumped into the water. Notice, he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw the fire of burning coals with the fish on it and some bread. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning, and thank you for this message that we're about to receive from you, Lord. Bless us with it. Help me to preach it your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we continue the third part of our series, Bless This Mess. We're really going to be speaking on an interesting subject, and that is the mess of rebellion. The mess of rebellion. Let me say that one more time, but say it with me. The mess of rebellion. You might be thinking, oh man, this isn't for me. I'm in church, pastor. Obviously, I'm not rebelling against God. So when I read this passage of Scripture, I read these two interesting passages a few weeks back. 
The Bible says that as Jesus resurrected from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And as he appeared to his disciples, he told them, go to Jerusalem and wait. But he promised them, if you go to Jerusalem and you wait, you're going to receive power. That's an interesting promise. You're going to receive power. But see, as they heard this, you would think they would go right to Jerusalem, listen to Jesus and obey and wait until the Holy Spirit came with power and blessed them. But you find out later on through John's account that the disciples actually went to Tiberias and they went to go fishing. So they didn't go to Jerusalem. They went to Tiberias and they started fishing. Peter said, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going back. I'm going fishing. Who's with me? And they all said, we'll go with you. So now they're at the water. They're fishing all night. They're frustrated because they've caught nothing. They're tired. They're discouraged. Their nets are empty. But what I find fascinating about this is that now they're in disobedience because Jesus clearly told them, go to Jerusalem, wait, and you'll receive my power. But you see them, however, in Tiberias, fishing, doing the opposite. And any time you do the opposite of what God tells you, you are in direct violation of sin and rebellion. Can I get a witness on that? Anytime you do the opposite of what God says in his word, that is classified clearly as rebellion. So the disciples now are in rebellion, fishing. But see, what I find fascinating about this is that they're still disciples. That hasn't changed. They're still believers. They're still saved. They still love Jesus. However, there's something missing. And what they're missing now because of their disobedience is the promise of Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, because of the rebellion of the disciples, they're missing now on what God wants to give them. Because of their disobedience, they're missing now on the promises of God and his plans. And they're not experiencing the power of God promised to them because they're in the wrong place out of simple disobedience. So now, not only are they missing on, out on the power of God, they're missing on his plans They're missing on his promises. They're missing out on a better life. And you find them tired, discouraged, empty, angry, frustrated. And when I saw those disciples on that boat frustrated, the first thing that came to my mind was, you chose that. It didn't have to be that way. If they would have listened to Jesus and simply gone to Jerusalem, they would have had to wait and they would have experienced the promise and the power of God. And their lives would have been completely different and blessed. But now you find themselves in this mess because they chose to disobey. When I saw this, I realized that this is exactly the culture we're living in today as Christians. The disciples were disciples. 
The disciples were saved. They loved Jesus, no doubt about that. They were believers. But they weren't living in the promises of Jesus. And today I find so many Christians in the church, there's no doubt you love Jesus. There's no doubt you're a believer. There's no doubt you're in church, you're worshiping, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. You believe in the word of God. You've given your life over to Jesus. And there's no doubt about that like the disciples. But maybe, just maybe, you're missing out on the life God truly has for you. Maybe you're missing out on his promises. And maybe you have chosen a life of rebellion against God, therefore forfeiting his power in your life. And not only are you not living under the power of God in your life, this is what I see in so many Christians. They're not experiencing the power of God in their life. They're experiencing the opposite. They're experiencing bondage and frustration. They're tired. They're angry. They're complaining. They're bitter, but they're saved. Praise God. It doesn't work that way. But if you would look at the church today, it would just be exactly like we saw in the disciples. They're born-again believers who are empty and tired and frustrated. Does that describe you this morning? Because there is a lot of believers that have no peace in their life. There is a lot of believers that have no idea what it really means to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And they're discouraged. They're anxious. They're guilty all the time. And what's sad is that they're missing out on the promises of God. And what's worse is that God has so much more for you, so much better for you, but you're missing it. And you have chosen to live a life of emptiness, powerless, defeated, discouraged, all while knowing, like the disciples, all while knowing Jesus Christ. The question is why? Why are so many believers in bondage? Why are so many Christians not experiencing the true power of God in their life, in their marriage, in their family, in their children? Why is it that so many of us know the promises of God, believe in the promises of God, but will die without experiencing the promises of God? You want that for your life? I know I don't. And the answer is simple. The same reason the disciples were missing out on the power that was promised. Rebellion. Doing what you know is right, knowing what you know is right, but doing what is wrong is rebellion. Knowing the good you have to do, but choosing not to, is rebellion. Knowing the truth of what God says to do, but choosing not to do it, is rebellion. 
Rebellion is so far from just making a mistake. A mistake can happen. Anyone just stumbles and make a mistake. They say, oh, I'm sorry, won't happen again. You move on. But rebellion is different. And rebellion is serious because rebellion says, I know what I have to do. I know what God says to do. I know the truth, but I'm choosing not to do it. And I'm going to choose not to do it. I'm going to live in rebellion. And I'm going to expect God to still bless me. Does that make any logical sense? It's no wonder the disciples were in Tiberias, empty, frustrated, and discouraged, not experiencing the promise of the power of God and the Holy Spirit because God has one thing in mind. He says, you either do it my way or you do it your way, but I'm not going to conform to your rebellion. I'm not going to promise and give it to you regardless of how you're living, regardless of your disobedience. God says, I do not change. So today in our culture, we're trying to fit God into our way of thinking, our way of living, into our views. But God stays firm. And hey, as long as they stayed in Tiberias, as long as they stayed on that boat, they were in rebellion and would never have received the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Does that not frighten you? See, we will never, ever experience the power and the peace and the plans and the promises of God as long as we continue to live a life in deliberate disobedience and rebellion. These are the kind of messages that clear out a church, and I get that. But the truth not only hurts, the truth can save you. And I choose to be the type of pastor that will preach the truth that saves. That's it. You might be thinking, well, pastor, I'm not rebellious. I'm not, you know, the rebellious people, they're out there in the world right now. They're not even in church right now. They need to hear this right now. You hold on. I'm about to knock you out of that little high horse of yours. Rebellion is doing what you know is wrong. And when you live in rebellion towards God, pain is promised. When you choose to live in direct violation of God's word, pain is unavoidable. Let me give you an example. I'm going to call Frankie up here to explain what rebellion really looks like. This is Frankie. This is my sister-in-law. I'm her favorite brother-in-law. Frank, I want you to stay in that square. I highlighted here a little square there. Stand there. You love me? Yes. You trust me? I'm not only your pastor. I'm not only your friend. We're family. Yep. You trust me? Yeah. All right, close your eyes. I'm going to swing this hammer towards you. The only thing you not to do is stay in the box. You might want to stay a little bit. You're on the edge of rebellion there. All right. You little rebel. Stay. 
It's a real hammer. Feel that, Frankie. Feel it. How real is that? Yeah. All right. Heavy. Ready? Mm-hmm. Ready? Yes. Ready? Ooh. It came so close. Let me see if I can, how close I can get. No. Come on. I'm going to do it three times. Three times. Here it comes. Here it comes. Oh. All right. Ooh. I'm, oh, I like this. This is my favorite. Ready? Here it goes. Oh. Oh. Ooh. Give Frankie a round of applause, all right? <laughs> Scary, right? Let me tell you why Frankie did not experience the pain of this hammer hitting her in the face. It wasn't only because she said she trusted me. It's not because she loves me. A lot. It also had to do with one important factor. When I told her, stay in the square, that's what prevented her from experiencing the hammer from hitting her. This is called a boundary. Say it with me, church. Boundary. A boundary is a line. Drawn to keep you in place. And God has boundaries in that book called the Bible. And when you read the Bible and you look at the boundaries and stay within the boundaries, life can get scary. You say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I love you. But if you stay in authority, in submission to God, in obedience, it will save you from a lot of pain. And let me tell you, I see a lot of Christians who have chosen to live a life of pain simply because it's not that they didn't love God, it's not that they didn't trust God, it's that they thought, I can just go a little bit off the boundary line and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to disobey a little bit and I'll be fine and I'll get away with it. And if I'm standing away from the boundary line in a matter of time, this hammer, I'm not going to do that. This hammer will hit me. And this is what's wrong with the church today. We think that our problem is we don't love God enough. We don't trust God enough. That's not the problem. The disciples trusted Jesus. They gave them his life. They loved him. The problem was rebellion. They crossed the line. Maybe you're here today and you're in church, but you're crossing the line. In ways you know that God doesn't get honored. You're, you're crossing the boundaries. You're doing things you know you shouldn't. With people you know you need to stay away from. Compromising in areas you know you shouldn't be compromising. And there's no one in history or in the Bible that has rebelled against God and said, I loved it. It was the best choice I ever made. Rebellion is so serious that in 1 Samuel 15, 23, 
God tells this to Samuel to tell to Saul. Saul loved God. Saul was a believer. Saul served God. But Saul disobeyed. And he was doing things he should not have been doing. And God said, you go tell Saul that rebellion is like the sin of divination, witchcraft. You're like, what? Yes. How can God compare witchcraft to rebellion? It seems a little extreme, God. I mean, have you seen witchcraft? How can God say rebellion is like witchcraft? Simple. What God was saying here is that in, the, in, the, in that culture, witchcraft was one of the most serious sins. All of sin is serious, but witchcraft did something different than most other sins. Witchcraft opened up the demonic realm for Satan to have control. And God said, rebellion does the same thing. So you might not be killing chickens and spreading blood everywhere like in your Hialeah or something, but listen to me. If you're in rebellion against God, you're opening up the door for the devil to wreak havoc on your life. Rebellion is like witchcraft. It opens the door to evil. That's why when you look at Saul, the Bible says an evil spirit began to torment him. And I said to myself, where did that evil spirit came from? It came from his rebellion. The minute he opened the door to rebellion, he opened the door for evil. And God gave permission to the demonic spirits to torment him because of rebellion. And the Bible says that Saul became angry. Let me tell you that when you're rebelling against God, you're easily angered all the time. When you're rebelling against God like Saul, Saul became sleepless, couldn't sleep at night. You lose your rest when you know you're not living right. Why is that? It's the Holy Spirit grieving you to get you back in line. When you're in rebellion towards God like Saul, you get very jealous and you begin to live in comparison and criticize. Saul began to criticize David, a man after God's own heart. But it's crazy that when you're rebelling against God, you begin to find the faults in other believers to make yourself feel less guilty. Isn't that interesting? You begin to live comparison and fear. And Saul missed the promise and the peace and the power of God, just like the disciples did, because of rebellion. And in the end, it caused them pain. Throughout the Bible, people that rebelled against God experienced pain. 
Not just Saul. Saul had the pain of losing his kingdom, losing his family, losing the plans of God. Samson rebelled. He knew Gaza was not where he needed to be, but Gaza was where all the hot girls were. So he wanted to go to Gaza. And his parents were like, out of all the girls, why did you have to go to Gaza? And he's like, Dad, because Christian girls are lame. So let me go to South Beach and find one. Maybe I'll flirt and convert, bring her to church, and who knows? And he went to Gaza and started spiraling out of control with women. And in the end, he found himself in chains with his eyes gouged out and even death. Because rebellion brings pain. Jonah knew to go to Nineveh. He chose to go to Tarsus. The storm came. The fish swallowed him. Three days in the belly of a fish is painful. And that's what rebellion does. The prodigal son in the parable of Jesus, he knew it was wrong to ask for the inheritance so early. He did not care. The Bible says he went to a faraway land. You know you're in sin when you got to go far away to do it. In case that someone from church sees me. <laughs> and experienced emptiness and pain. The people of Israel, the first generation, rebelled against God. The Bible says they rebelled against the Lord and missed out on the promised land. Is that the life you want? Hey, rebellion, by the way, a lot of fun. It is, for a moment. And then you have to pay. And the price is pain. I've seen many marriages end because of rebellion. Adultery is fun, great, cross the line a little. And then you have the pain of losing your family, your spouse, your children, your home, everything else. Pornography is great for a moment. You're looking at it. It's nice. It's entertaining. It's whatever, pleasurable. And then you have the pain and the guilt and the shame and the destruction it does to you mentally. If you're a child under the authority of your parents, it might be fun to disobey and think you're getting away with it. Hang out with who you want to hang out with. Sleep whoever you want to sleep with. Disobey. Don't go to church. All of that sounds great. Until you get older, you look back and you realize that was a waste of your life and you have brought so much pain not only to your life, but to the life of your parents. Rebellion doesn't just hurt you. It hurts those around you. And it hurts God. So we keep going and crossing the line. And when the hammer finally hits, we say, why, God? And God says, it's because I love you. And I discipline those I love. Rebellion like Samson and Jonah and the prodigal son in Israel, all of them missed the promise of God and his power. For a moment, Of rebellion. What's scary about rebellion is that a lot of us, maybe you're thinking it right now, you're watching online, you're listening online, you're saying, oh, that's not me. 
I'm not, I'm not rebelling against God. I'm tuned in online right now. I'm, I'm listening to Pastor David. I'm in church right now. I tithe. I serve. I worship. I do this. I do that. There's no, no rebellion. We think it's people that are way gone from God. They're not in the church. They're posting horrible things. They're doing horrible things. They're in the world. But let me tell you that rebellion is closer than you think. Let me explain why. If I were walking on that shore of Tiberias, let's say we all as a church were walking on the shore of Tiberias. Can you guys picture it right now? Say, yeah, Pastor, I see it. We're walking. And I'm thinking, I'm saying, oh, and to the north you have Jerusalem. I'm your your tour guide. And here's Tiberias. And I say, oh my gosh, guys, look, it's the disciples. And you see all of them together. And they're all just enjoying a nice sunrise during a night of fishing was the first thing in our minds. Wow, look at them. So spiritual. They're out at the sea. They're probably having a Bible study. Look at them. They love to be together. They love fellowship. Man, I wish I was one of those 12. Well, 11, the other one's gone. I I wish I was one of those disciples. Look how spiritual they look. But getting a closer look, what does the real story say? They were in disobedience, angry, frustrated, empty, powerless. That's why you can be in church, look great, look spiritual, and the truth is so far from that. You worship, you sing, you serve in the ministry, you go to church, you fellowship, you know the Bible, you read the Bible, but deep down inside, if the truth was revealed, you're empty, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're not experiencing the power of God in your life, but from the outside, you look awesome. You couldn't tell that those disciples were in sin, could you? You couldn't tell that those disciples were in deliberate violation of God's word. You would never tell that they were in rebellion. That's why rebellion is so easy to cover. We think that it's obvious when you're rebelling because you're out in the world. You're out there sinning. You're not in the church. That is what the devil wants you to think. But there are more rebellious people in the church than outside the church because I believe that if you're outside the church, you're just gone. But the rebellious people are in the church because they desperately want Jesus back in their life. How do you know you're rebelling right now? You say, Pastor, I just don't know because I... I feel good sometimes. I go to church. I, I read my Bible. I listen to worship music. I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm that rebellion. I mean, I can tell you a lot more people in my life that are worse spiritually than me. Rebellion has some signs. You guys want to know what the signs are? All right. It's, 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 it's fun. It's simple, though. Rebellion is so easy to find. You know you're rebelling against God when you're going back to things God called you out of. That's for starters. Let's just start there. You know you're going towards rebellion 
when you're going back to things God set you free from. Jesus calls Peter out of where? The boat. He called him out of the fishing lifestyle into the ministry. He left everything passionately, and now you find them going back where? To the fishing lifestyle. You know you're in rebellion when you're saying, man, I thought this was over in my life, but I'm going back to it. I thought I was dead to this sin, but it's somehow resurrected. I thought. And you're going back. You're going back to old habits. You're going back to old relationships you prayed God would remove from you. The silence is awesome. You're going back to old attitudes you thought you were free from. You're going back to bitterness and anger and jealousy and rage. You're acting and speaking in ways you thought you were dead to. You're just going back. You're like, man, I find myself going back to the old me. Because of rebellion does that. And you know why they spent all night frustrated, empty, and it didn't work? Because when you go back to your old ways after knowing the truth of Jesus Christ, you go back, it will never be the same again. You go back and you say, man, this doesn't feel me like it used to. You go back. Some of you back in the day, you were real good at that sin. Real good. And you go back to it and you say, man, I'm not good at this anymore. It's because Jesus is saying, yeah, because I got you out of there and, and you don't belong there anymore. So it's not going to feel the same way because it's not who you are anymore. You go back and you're like, no, th this doesn't feel right. This is what the Bible calls backsliding. It's when a believer begins to kind of slide back into old ways. You know how many backsliders are in church today? Countless. You know you're backsliding when you're not as committed to the things of God anymore. The disciples, when they were first called out of the fishing lifestyle, number one, you get called out, but you go back in. Here's the second thing that happens. You begin to change your priorities. When Peter got saved and left the fishing lifestyle and followed Jesus, his priority was Jesus, ministry, serving God, heaven, praying, ministry, ministry, ministry. His focus, his worldview, everything changed. But when he began to cross the line in rebellion, you don't see him in ministry anymore. You don't see him praying. You don't see him preaching. You don't see him worried about the things of God anymore. He's now focused on what? Fish. You know you're backsliding when you begin to commit less to the things of God and more to the things that have no value in the end of your life. You're not as committed to church anymore. You're not as committed to Bible study anymore. You're not as committed to serving and fellowship anymore. I'm not as committed to spending time alone with God anymore. And my mind is so distracted by other things. Why? It's because 
and backsliding. The third sign of backsliding, you become critical. I see this all the time. It's funny. Peter had signs of backsliding before he even backslid. There were warning signs. That's why Jesus looked at him and said, boy, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, me? No, I'm the greatest. Maybe, you know, John here, old suck-up John, but not me. But Peter started an argument at the dinner table and said, hey, guys, uh, I think I'm the greatest disciple. And he began to find the faults in other disciples. See, because when you're backsliding, you put other Christians down to meet, put you at, their, at your level. Why? Because you don't feel as bad. Before, when you're walking with Jesus, you love everyone. You don't see fault in anyone. You enjoy their company. But when you're in sin, rebellion, and backsliding, you forget all the good qualities about someone and you start looking at the, the wrong. Oh, 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 you see? They're not that spiritual. They're just like me. So you begin to go back to things God called you out of. You begin to get less committed to the things of God. You become more critical of others. Look at Matthew 26, 74. This is insane. Peter, this is the denier of Jesus three times that Jesus promised. The Bible says that he began to curse and swear. What a Christian. He began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. You think about that and you say, man, how can Peter have so much profanity? When you read it in the Greek, you're like, what? I can't even say it. Like, how did that happen? When you backslide, you begin to not only speak differently, but the reason that Peter used such profanity is to look so worldly, they wouldn't accuse him anymore of being a Christian. Isn't that crazy? Because when you're backsliding, you start looking more worldly than Christian. To the point that if you tell the world you're a Christian, you're like, really? That's a bad, that's a bad sign. Rebellion, backsliding, going back to the things God called you out of, not as committed, critical to other believers, acting and speaking in a worldly manner that's different and contrary to living like Jesus. Are you with me now? Do you see why you can be in the church and still be backsliding? Rebellion will always lead to a mess in your life. There's power, there's peace, and there's fulfillment of the plans of God when you choose to stay within the boundaries of God. Peter went back. Peter went back, and I started studying Peter, and I said, why did you go back? Because Peter didn't just say, I'm going fishing. In the Greek, he said the word hupaso. Hupaso means to go back and settle. So when he said, I'm going fishing, he literally said, guys, I'm going back to my old life. I'm, I'm, not, I'm done with this. And the only reason, you listen now, if you don't get anything out of today, get this. The only reason that Peter was done 
with Jesus and ministry is because he thought ministry and Jesus was done with him. And that's why so many people backslide and stay that way because you truly feel the guilt and the shame of your rebellion and are convinced that you are too far gone for God to restore. What a lie of the devil. I'm just too far gone. You don't know what I've done. Listen, you're not as bad as Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Three times. Habitual sin, three times. And Jesus still got that mess of a man and blessed him. Can we praise God for that? Because you know what God says? You're never too far to be rescued. I don't care how rebellious you are, how bad you are. You don't know the people at Forward. Oh, my goodness. All my years in this church, I'm like, I prayed one prayer. Lord, send me the broken. I thought it was spiritual. And then I said, God, can you stop? And I changed it. I said, Lord, send me the rich. Send me. I'm just kidding. He hasn't answered that yet. Anyway, Peter went back to his lifestyle because he thought Jesus was done with him. The saddest thing as a Christian is guilt and condemnation when you know the freedom and the truth of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 3.22 Return. How simple is that? Return. You what? backsliding children. Let me highlight something powerful here. He not only calls you a backslider, he calls you a backsliding child. Why? Because even though you have backslid, you will always be a child of God. He says, return. I will heal your backsliding. Indeed, we do come to you, the people said. We'll come to you. God said, I'll heal you. A backslide. Hosea 14.4, the Bible says, again, I will heal their backslide. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. God's not angry with you. He loves you. He's calling you back. Do you miss that intimacy? Do you miss that devotion you once had to Jesus? Notice that the Bible uses the word heal when it refers to backsliding because backsliding, according to Scripture, is like a disease. And if you don't get it right and treat it, it will get worse. Don't think because you're backsliding a little, you're going to stay like that. It only gets worse. So understand something about Jesus, and we'll close with this one. Peter and the disciples have rebelled against God. They're going back to old ways. They should have been in Jerusalem. They're in Tiberias. Therefore, they're not experiencing the promise or the power of God because let me make this point clear again. You will never experience the power and the promise and the plans that God has for you as long as you stay in direct violation of God's word. Rebellion. What I love about Jesus 
is that Jesus goes to shore and he sees all the disciples. And they're all there because you notice it was Peter that had the idea of going back. And when the other ones said, oh, we'll go with you, he didn't stop them. Because when you're backsliding, you want to bring others down with you so you don't feel as bad. So misery loves company. So Peter is there with all his rebellious disciples, frustrated, tired, angry, guilty, shameful. They're probably thinking back of their old lives with Jesus. They're probably thinking, man, do you remember? Because I'm telling you, when you're fishing all night and you're not catching anything, the next thing you do is just talk. Trust me, I know. I don't catch anything. And I talk. And they're probably talking, hey, do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? Man, that was crazy. Do you remember when he healed that little girl from the dead? Oh, man, that was amazing. Do you remember how he taught us to pray? Do you remember the, the, the supper we had together? Do you remember that? And they're thinking about all the good times. And Peter's just listening to all these memories. And he's saying, man, I'm so far from that. I'll never go back to that. If you're a child of God, far or too far is not in the vocabulary of Jesus. So I love Jesus because Jesus, in John 21, 5, he shows up and he, God, I'm telling you, we know God is love, God is merciful, God is compassion. But when was the last time you realized also that God is sarcastic? You don't hear that, but he is. Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? You don't think Jesus knew that they had nothing? He ordained it that way. But you know what Jesus is saying here? Hey, you're empty, right? You're frustrated. I bet you're tired. You have nothing, right? They answered, no. No. And Jesus said, hey, throw the net at the other side. Why did you, I said to myself, why would you do that, Jesus? Are you trying to tempt them to stay in the fishing business? And I realized something. They caught all this fish. And I said to myself, wait a minute. Has this happened before? When did this happen? The first time Jesus called Peter and saved him. And the reason that Jesus repeated a miracle in Peter's life twice is because he's letting Peter know, I'm still God. And I don't care how far you are. You can go back to the beginning with me. You can go back to how things used to be. You can go back. And when Peter saw the miracle, he knew that was his special miracle. He completely got naked, the Bible says. Because I believe that when you've truly repented before God, you bear it all before him. And in the Bible, nakedness was a symbol of shame. So when he stripped off his garments, he was saying, God, Jesus, I'm so ashamed. I denied you. 
I left you. I was worldly. And Jesus said, you get over here. This time, Jesus did not walk on water to get to him because he was leaving the choice to Peter. Are you going to come back to me? And Peter jumped out of that ship. And he swam. And you got to picture this. This naked guy swimming. You're like, why? Because when you repent, you don't care what people think. And he runs back to Jesus. And Jesus has his fish there already because he's letting him know, I already had what you've been looking for. If you're looking for love, I already have it. If you're looking for peace, I already have it. If you're looking for fulfillment, I already have it. It's in me. It's in Jesus. And he sits down with Peter by himself and he says, Peter, do you love me? He he didn't say, hey, Peter, are you sorry? Are you really sorry? Hey, did you learn your lesson? You know what Jesus says? I just want to know one thing. And it will change your life forever. Do you love me? Because if you just fall in love with Jesus, it will change your life forever. You just fall in love with him. Do you love me? Peter says, I love you, but he answered wrong. Because when Jesus said the word love in the Greek, he said agape, which is an unconditional devotion by choice. So he said, do you agape me? And Peter replied, no, I phileo you. Phileo is another word for love, but it means friendship. And friendship is not unconditional, it's conditional. And Peter is so honest, he says, no. I love you, but with conditions. And he said, do you love me? Do you agape me? No, I phileo you with conditions. And as long as you serve God with conditions, you will always keep backsliding. You serve God when it's right. You serve God when it's peaceful. You serve God when things are great. You serve God when you're not tired. You serve God when you have time. There are conditions to my devotion. You will mess up. Because when you truly love God, you serve Him unconditionally. And the third time he said, Peter, do you agape me? Peter said, Lord, I know I've made mistakes. And I've rebelled. And I've been wrong. And I feel far. Lord, I agape you. Lord, I will love you unconditionally. And the the most fascinating thing happened. I love that they were in Tiberias, the place of rebellion and disobedience and emptiness and darkness, because they were in the dark, the Bible says, all night, dark and frustrated and empty and angry and guilty and shameful. 
when they should have been in Jerusalem. They should have been in Jerusalem. Maybe you're thinking, I should be there. I should be doing this. I should be, and I should be, but I'm not because I'm in sin. But don't you notice that Jesus met them in Tiberias? He didn't say, guys, I'll be in Jerusalem and I'm going to wait for you to get your stuff together and then you come to me because many Christians think they need to get right and then they'll go to God. But see, we serve a God that says, I'll meet you where you're at. That's why God will save you in a motel, in an alley, in a parking lot, in a car, wherever. He will meet you where you are. And when he met them in Tiberias, he forgave them. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, they went to Jerusalem. You know what's interesting about Jesus? He says, I'll meet you where you're at. And I'll be with you and help you to get to where you need to be. And they went together. to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 2 one night, the power came. The power that was promised and the plans were fulfilled because when you choose to get back to God, the power comes. His plans are fulfilled peace arrives and his promises are fulfilled and Peter preached one message and reached more than 2,000 people because there's so much power not only in the Lord but when you stand in the submission and authority and obedience with him so God says I'll heal you You're not too far from me. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I know because of social distancing, we can't do altar calls in churches right now. But I'm challenging you today if you're saying, God, I'm far from you. God, I've rebelled against you. God, I'm backslidden and I didn't even know. I'm rebelling and I'm not the same. My love for you is not the same. I'm different, Lord. I want to go back to the beginning like Jesus took Peter back to the beginning. The Lord can take you back to the beginning when you were so passionate for him, when you were so in love with him, when he was everything to you. And it's sad that today in the church there are so many believers who are empty and frustrated and discouraged and all the Lord is saying is come back and I'll help you get to where you need to be. Stop searching for what I already have. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm backslidden. And I want to return to God. And I want to go back. What do I do? It's simple. You tell God, 
Lord, I want to come back. And you repent of your sins. You turn from them. Notice when Jesus, when Peter came to Jesus, he left the boat behind. So when you're making the choice to go back to the Lord, you're also making the choice to leave certain things behind. And maybe there are sins right now you need to leave behind once and for all. Maybe there are habits and relationships and people and what distractions that are keeping you from the promises and the plans and the power of God. And God says, if you want to come back to me, I'm here and I'm open. But realize that you can't have both. And Peter never went back on that boat. And the only reason Peter could go back to fishing is because he truly never got rid of that boat. And until you truly get rid of the habits and the sin and the distractions in your life, you will never truly come back to God. So if you're here today, I want to pray for you. There's no judgment. There's no criticism. All of us, all of us have moments that we're not going back and we're slipping. We're not the same. And I think it takes a real church to preach a message like this. God loves you. He'll meet you where you're at. Where are you right now? Are you angry? Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? Are you addicted? Are you lost? He'll meet you. He'll walk with you get you to where you need to be, Jerusalem. Father, I pray now that you would open the hearts of the stubborn, the hard-hearted, rebellious, the know-it-all, the prideful, the arrogant, the snobby ones that think this message doesn't apply to them. For anyone listening online, I pray right now that the Lord will break you too that you realize you're far from him. You look great. You're spiritual. You're in church. You're online. You're reading your Bible. But the truth is, you're worldly. You're far from God. You're compromising. Your compassion is gone. You're wavering. That's you today. Would you put that hand up? I want to pray for you. All eyes are closed. It's just you, me, and God right now. pray for you right now, but before I pray for you, I want you to tell God right now where you're at. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this message. And I pray for every person here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe here listening online, I want you to pray this with me today. Say, Lord Jesus, confess that I'm a sinner. I'm lost and I need you, Lord. And I believe, Jesus, that you are the way, the Father, that you died on the cross for my sins. And today, I repent and turn to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're here today, you're saying, God, I'm a believer. I love you. I'm saved. But I'm backslidden. My devotion's not the same. I want to come back to you. You pray this with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, heal me of my backsliding. That's it. Just pray that one prayer. Lord, heal me 
of my backsliding. Help me get to where I need to be and go. Forgive me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Get God some praise today. That's our third part of our series.